Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game. Consider us like the vaccine for football finance, but more readily available. I'm Kevin Day and here's Liverpool University Kieran Maguire. Kieran, if only we've taken producer guy's advice to invest in those Pfizer shares. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Now he's he's put all of uh, all all of your profits uh, from the podcast into Pfizer. So uh, he'll be sending us a uh, a postcard from the Bahamas, and you'll be still in uh, still still in South London, I suspect, wondering well, how you're going to buy turkey this Christmas. Well, you never know. Santa might manage to fit a solid gold yacht down my chimney. You know. <laughs> as I huddle around a tiny, tiny fire. Um, Later in the show, we'll be hearing from Jeff Banks, who's one of the directors of Chester FC, a fan-owned club in the Vanarama National League North. Jeff, uh, it's a really good interview. Uh, Jeff is the delicious filling in a new sandwich because it's Thursday, Kieran, and as usual, we have plenty of stories to discuss. And the the one that came (laughs) slightly out of the blue yesterday, we were going to talk about anyway, Kieran, but... um, as we know, there was a meeting yesterday. Richard Masters, Chief Executive of the Premier League, Rick Parry, Chair of the EFL, and Greg Clark, Chair of the FA, all appeared before MPs this week, but only only two of them came out, essentially, um, <laughs> which was a, a, an odd situation. I don't think uh, Greg Clark, as he said goodbye to Mrs. Clark in the morning, uh, imagined that he'd be coming home with some, I've got some news, darling. How did it go? Not, not brilliantly. Um, it's, a, it's a big story, and he, he probably did the right thing before we discussed the actual finances of what happened. Yeah, I think he did the the only thing. I was I was listening and, and watching this on Parliament TV, of course, uh, yesterday morning, a, a great channel uh, for and uh, the Department for Culture, Media and Sport. That they they spoke to Richard Masters initially, then then Rick Parry, then Rick then Rick and uh, the other guy uh, together. So that was. That, that was quite good, and they were effectively say, "Knock your heads together, stop, yeah. stop this silly squabbling." Yeah, um, and, and there, there was some some strange stuff that was coming out um, when when they asked Richard Masters, uh, "Were there any uh, strings attached to the loans and grants to the EFL to the fifty million pound offer?" Uh, Masters said, "Well, when we sent it to the EFL, there wasn't. We might have initially thought about it." Um, then uh, he was saying that they the the Premier League won't let any clubs go bust, um, and I think the DCMS some sometimes they seem to be picking up their their information from newspapers rather than doing the necessary uh, investigations themselves. Uh, the DCMS chair Julian Knight, who, who was pretty pretty good, he was you know, he he didn't give them uh, much wiggle room. Um, he, he described that the Premier League approach as pitiful. Yeah. Uh, at one stage, saying how how can you go and spend one point two billion pounds in the in the transfer market? And, and Richard Masters was going, well, yeah, we, we've had this discussion ourselves. You know, ultimately, it's it's Roman Abramovich's toy, Chelsea, and he can do what the hell he wants with it. So, yeah, and, and if, if that involves signing players as opposed to supporting clubs in the Championship owned by billionaires, that then so be it. So, it it, well, it did get a bit feisty at times. Um, and then when Rick Parry came on and uh, Julian Knight again asked uh, both uh, Richard Masters and Rick Parry uh, about why they couldn't just go and sign off on a deal for, for Leagues 1 and 2. And Masters said, well, as far as I'm concerned, we can. Rick Parry then said, well, 
that's been rejected by the clubs in League One and Two um, because they, they they wanted to be loyal to the Championship. So I, I'm tweeting all this literally live as it's going through. Um, and Andy Holt, who's the owner of uh, Accrington Stanley, he 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 chips in and says, "Well, this this has never been discussed with us as owners of yeah. League One and Two. So he, so th- th- there there was an awful lot of contradiction, inconsistency, uh, and so on." Uh, because you know, th- there are, you know, uh, there there are owners in the championship worth over thirty billion pounds between them. Uh, Rick Parry says, "Well, well, hold on, you know, what, why why should we be means testing uh, people who are receiving part of the handout?" Which which is a valid point, yeah. but at the same time, he's supporting means testing as a being for the reason for why you should be deciding on the contents of Project Big Picture. So again, an, an inconsistency. So, so this was this was uh, this was the, the hors d'oeuvre to uh, to Greg Clark. Um, so, so Greg Clark came in. Um, now, I I, re- I recall Greg Clark from last year um, when he was also quizzed by the DCMS as to um, what have you done at the FA in respect of the the demise of Berry Football Club. To which his reply, which was incredibly sniffy was, well, we, we didn't even know that Berry had been kicked out of the league. It, it, we only got involved four weeks after they were expelled, which makes you wonder, what what on earth are you doing? You know, apart from picking up your 180 grand a year and a similar sum for being a uh, a vice president of uh, FIFA. Uh, so, so what exactly? So, so I, he, he, was on, he was on my naughty step. Um, and uh, then, then he managed to... Um, I, th- I think he was going for some form of uh, bingo uh, in terms of uh, welcome to the 1970s bigotry. Yeah. Um, so he, he started off by referring to uh, coloured players. Yeah. Which, you know, it's, it, it's, it's not a very smart thing to say when the Football Association has just started a, a new campaign in terms of diversity. Yeah. Um, and, and the campaign is very good. Um, you know, it, Greg Clark's not a racist, but he, he does use language which really is unnecessary to use. You know, for anybody that that has been keeping aware of, of the change in language, uh, in you know, and we're talking probably about you know, thirty or forty years ago, he, he should have known better. Uh, it was pointed out to him, and he apologised. And if he just said that, I think he, people would have just said, "You know, God, the guy's a bit behind the times. Not not very smart." Um, but then he said, "Oh no, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not just going to do that. Um, there's, there's not many Asian people, uh, South Asian people in football because they spend all of their times uh, on a spreadsheet rather than playing football. And yeah. it's people from Afro Caribbean. I'm going. Yeah. Well, well, hold on. That yeah, that's that is just the laziest of, of racial stereotyping. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you and I, Kevin, we're both from Irish heritage. Yeah. You know, should should you therefore think that we should be down the nearest ditch, you know, digging up?" Uh, you know, digging holes in grounds and and trying to build a new new uh, new railway tracks. It, it just seemed ridiculously ill thought out, lazy, and uh, behind the times. But he wasn't finished there. Um, then then uh, DCMS brought up the issue of no 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 gay players uh, have, have have come out. Um, to which his reply, and, and he did start to say, well, given the level of abuse 
that other players uh, get. Uh, why why invite further abuse from the trolls uh, on Twitter and other forms of social media? And and that that seemed yeah okay. I, I think he's now he, he's now talking some sense. Um, and and then he sort of referred to to being gay as as a lifestyle choice. Yeah. I'm going no no that's you know I'm yeah. it's well known. I'm I'm from Brighton. I'm not going to go into details, but certainly when I was younger, you know, I was I knew about the gay scene pretty well in Brighton. It being a vegetarian is a lifestyle choice. Becoming a stamp collector is a lifestyle choice. Um, being gay is is part of you. It's, it's part of your genetic makeup. It's you know, I'm six foot three. Yeah, being a lanky twat isn't a li- isn't a lifestyle choice. It's it's what what you're, you're part of your DNA. So that was absolutely appalling, I thought, and and showed a complete lack of understanding of issues of that nature. And then, with regards to why are uh, why are there relatively few girls playing football compared to the USA? He said, "Oh well, well, girls of five to seven that they they don't like the ball being kicked hard at them." Okay. <laughs> Hold on. When I, when I was five, if, if I was in goal and the ball was coming right for my head, I'd duck. Yeah. If I, I was probably still doing that at twenty-five. <laughs> so yeah, yeah terrible. Um, there's a couple of issues, and uh, I'm almost reluctant to discuss it here because it's not it's sort of outside our remit. But we we can't not discuss it in a sense. Um, the lanky twat thing, first of all, the the lanky might not be a lifestyle choice, Kieran, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's face it, you make your own decisions about whether or not you're a twat. Um, and I, I just think, I just wonder whether we missed an opportunity. I mean, it was absolutely right for him to resign because he piled just mistake after mistake, essentially. You know, um, I just wonder whether there's two things here, whether this would have been a perfect opportunity for him to publicly say, oh, my God, we really do need some training at the FA, don't we? I want to, to publicly go through this process and atone for what I said. Uh, that would have been one option. But also the other thing is he, he, he hasn't resigned for presiding over an FA that's given no opportunity whatsoever to black coaches, black directors. You know, they're really important issues that he could he could have resigned. He's failed in his duty. The FA have failed in their duty to Asian footballers, to women footballers, to women referees, to black referees. To, and yet no hint of any any sorrow or consolation and yesterday all he had to say initially and that's the, the, the last refuge of the scoundrel was well if I said those things and then I'm sorry it's like well of course you said them. don't don't come this I, I, well, I'm not I'm not entirely sure I said them. it doesn't sound like me but he I mean he had to go I mean it's it, it's it's an odd thing for two middle-aged men doing a podcast to say but you know looking at the three middle-aged white men representing football yesterday wasn't a particularly good look but on the on what was actually said about the finances, Kieran, there are three things that I, I picked up on, and two of them you've mentioned. When when Richard Masters was challenged by MPs about the amount of money spent on a Premier League, he said, well, we have to be competitive. It's the only way we can stay ahead of the rest of the world and get the broadcasting money in is by having the best players in the world. And you know, my answer to that is the two best players in the world don't play in, in English football. Rick Parry's notion that the EFL clubs, Leeds 1 and League 2 clubs, wanted to be loyal to the championship seems to me risible, considering the lack of loyalty they all showed to Berry. We know that most of them were perfectly happy to vote Berry out of existence. But there was one other thing that Rick Parry said as well, Kieran. When he, he said that 10 EFL clubs were struggling to pay November's wages. 
Now, I don't know whether that should be as many as 10 or only 10. Were you, were you surprised by that figure when he said 10 clubs were struggling? No, no, not, not at all. I mean, I think we, we both said that uh, you know, the, the Premier League and the EFL have done the right thing in that they've advanced money. And yeah. actually, I, I, was quite, I was quite surprised that they all managed to go and pay the October wages. So th- this has been coming. Uh, I mean, Rick Parry did say, I think, a- appropriate things in terms of uh, some form of government support uh, in terms of giving clubs a tax break, lowering the rate of VAT uh, on, on club earnings during this time. Um, and things of that nature. Uh, Ten clubs, yeah, they, they, they will be struggling because if, if one of your major sources of income is being denied to you by government, and look, I know we're in lockdown two now, but we weren't in lockdown two in August. Yeah. When when clubs could have been generating cash. Uh, you know, we've, we've also had the conversation that clubs below uh, tier six have been able to play matches in front of a paying audience. Um, so the the government's approach has been clunky. Uh, they've done some good things. They've done some not good things. And I think they should be held to account, as should the clubs. Uh, and as, the, and as for, for Greg Clark, for me, the most frustrating thing is that the, the, the purpose of the investigation by DCMS has now been completely hijacked yeah. by him being a bellend. Yeah, because you know th- there are th- there are genuine issues in terms of finance. One of the things which came out was uh, uh, Julian Clark said. Not uh, sorry, sorry, uh, Ju- Ju- Julian said um, that uh, Masters and pa- Parry should now have to submit uh, a weekly. Uh, report to him, in effect, to say uh, how much progress they have made with regards to coming up with a deal uh, in, in respect of the EFL and the Premier League. So clearly, the view of government is that it's football's problem and football should sort this out. Um, it, it is football's problem. I, 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 I agree to an extent, but the, the government has made the problem worse. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're not entirely innocent. Um, and there is so much politics taking place because Rick Parry is still shouting, uh, "Project Big Picture, best thing since sliced bread." Yeah. Um, and you know, it, it looks as if you know from Andy Colt, from Andy Holt's comments, and also some comments I've had from other uh, EFL uh, senior executives that that they've not been given the, the full story. Um, and they're not over happy about it. But the the nature of the EFL at present is that uh, it, it is very, sort of it's, it's a quasi autocracy because they rejected the uh, recommendations of the Burden Bird report into governance. They they don't want independent directors, and you know, I'm not making too many parallels with what's happening in the in the US. But when you give people power, which Project Big Picture is aimed at doing they're very reluctant to give up on it yeah and they and and so you know, you know rick parry says well there's nothing to stop um the 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 owners of the big six clubs actually at a future date making it one person one vote yeah. well autocracies don't work like that yeah. uh, the reason i highlighted rick parry saying 10 clubs is because part of me was relieved it was only 10 here and that was the point i was trying to make i i wondered if you were expecting it to be more was what i was sort of trying to, to get you to to elaborate on um i i think 10 for november is is probably a fair number right. i think that could be 15 in december right 
um, and, and so on, uh, depending upon how things progress. Now, clearly, with, with the news which has come out from Pfizer with regards to the vaccine, I think the whole world has signed a collective uh, set of relief. Um, and You painted yourself into a corner there, Karen, didn't you? Yes, I did. <laughs> You didn't want to use the word sigh twice, but it's too late. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it's still going to take time before crowds can return yeah. and, and clubs can start to uh, generate money. And and and, the, and there is a there is now an embedded myth that the clubs in in the EFL require two hundred and fifty million pounds to survive. That is not the case. Uh, you know, Stoke City's owner uh, is. You know, one of the directors of Stoke City's owner paid themselves three hundred million pounds last year. Yeah. Stoke Stoke have said consistently they're opposed to financial fair play. As far as they're concerned, they should be allowed to put as much money into the club as they so desire. So, if that's the case, great. Um, and if that is the case, then they don't need a government handout. And and as a taxpayer, uh, you know, I, I think I would feel uncomfortable about money going to organisations which are owned by billionaires. Yeah, I agree. Um, as we'll find out in our brilliant interview with Jeff Banks later in the show, Kieran, it's it's not just the EFL. National League clubs are baffled by offers of help as well, um, which is a strange thing. When you're baffled by an offer of help and things are going wrong somewhere, we we spent longer than I thought we would do discussing this. So I do want to move on, but there are two very quick points I want to make. You've mentioned the fact that crowds are not allowed into English football. It must have been quite frustrating for owners of League One, League Two clubs and, and National League clubs to watch, as I did last night. Um, it was a quiet night, uh, Shea Day. Uh, I was watching uh, Crusaders versus uh, Coleraine, I think it was, Northern Irish football. And despite the fact that Northern Ireland have had a much more severe short shutdown than we have, there were crowds in that game. So it's it's doable. I mean, there, there weren't many people in there, but there were people in there and it was a sort of flip to the soul to see that. But it... It is doable and it needs to be done as quickly as possible. And then the last thing, Kieran, is I'm sure you share my my hope that this campaign to get Dion Dublin, uh, the job as head of the FA, comes to fruition because I would be a very happy man if Dion Dublin was both presenting Homes Under the Hammer and chairing the FA because it's, it's one of my favourite things on Homes Under the Hammer. Uh, and it's it's something that every single comedy writer and comedian in London shares a love of. Is 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 his mystification every time he sees a set of stairs. The fact, the fact that he has to indicate. So I, I don't know if it's never occurred to him that there, there there is no other way without mechanical means to get up to get from floor one to floor two. But I would I would love to see. Dion Dublin in the middle of an important FA meeting suddenly go, look at those stairs. That's fantastic. Um, uh, now, Dion Dublin, of course, is a is a star, but no one, no one's just an actor anymore, Kieran. Everyone's a legend these days. So Hollywood legends Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds held a Zoom meeting with Wrexham fans this week to spell out their plans for buying the club from the Supporters Trust. And they, I mean, they used the word global brand. So that's a very ambitious project, isn't it? It, it, it is indeed, uh, and it was uh, it was a very slick presentation. Um, uh, it, it was done in the right way. Uh, they, they took it seriously. Um, they they said that they had principles to to protect the heritage of the club, to to uphold community values, to increase the exposure, as you were saying, um, and also to reward the faith of fans 
and then they made promises and and this is uh this this is probably going to upset our our guest on the show jeff banks um the, the promise uh, they made four promises to beat chester yeah. <laughs> um, yeah which i thought was very good yeah we know it upset him because we've, we've already done the interview let's not get stuck in that time we did last week let's not predict things that we know we already know to be true he was he, he was he, well actually he was quite pleased that, that chester fc dominated the uh, the news agenda from rob McElhenney and ryan reynolds but um I, as you say, it was a very slick presentation. They've done their research. They talked about reps of being the third oldest club on the planet. It, it, no, it, it will need a 75% majority of the Wrexham supporters who own the club to say yes, and I, I would imagine they will do. One question that I had, Kieran, would individual trust members be rewarded? So, I mean, say if they were to buy the club for, let's just, just use £10 million as an example, would that ten million be distributed among the two hundred, two thousand or so members who who own the club, or does it go into a separate bank account? What, what happens to that money when no, it, 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 would go, it would go into a separate pot? Would be my understanding, right? Um, for for the benefit of the club as a whole. If if you are owning things uh, on a trust basis, then it's it's a non profit organisation. Right. Right, so there's no there's no money to be made if producer guy is listening to this on his solid gold headpiece. There's no money to be made in, in, in investing in a in a supporters trust club in the hope that this happens again and Hollywood legends buy it out. No, no. So you know, if if people think that uh, that, that somebody's going to you know uh, Nick Nolte or uh, who, whoever, you know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm hopeless on Hollywood. Um, I don't know why I said Nick Nolte there. No, well, I thought you said Nick Knowles, which is um, <laughs> an even worse reference. Um, would, would you imagine this this will this will go through? Does it strike you, Kieran, that these people are serious football fans, or does this strike you as the outcome of a a kind of drunken chat one night in a Hollywood trailer to go, let's let's buy a football club? I think that the fact that the the initial interest, which took place about three or four weeks ago, has now. Uh, solidified into a, a concrete proposal means that yeah, they they could have sort of walked away over the course of the last month. Yeah. Um, but th- there does seem to be a, a genuine affection for Wrexham. Um, and I think both you and I have been been to the club in, in its former form yeah. um, as fans. And, and it's a great atmosphere. I went to a fans, uh, a fans United event there when they were going through a lot of their troubles. And, and the fans were just... Uh, absolutely brilliant. There, there's nothing they couldn't do for you. They're, they, you know, they're, they're so passionate. Um, they're so friendly as well. So yeah, I, I was uh, I, I was I was very impressed. And it was sort of one of those sort of things you get a bit. We're not, we're not getting teary, but you were genuinely sure. uh, emotional because we we both supported clubs who we've thought could this be the last time I'm going to see them? And, and and I'm sure we've been to those matches and know how it felt. Um, so it, I think it's a great chance for Wrexham to turn things round. Um, they, they want to renovate the racecourse ground. They, they want to have proper training facilities. They want fans on board. They want it to be sort of, you know, yes, they will be the, the nominal big cheese owners, but as far as they're concerned, it will still be uh, a fan community club um, and they're the custodians. And I, and I think that, that word, um, you know, in, in, the, in the environment of the, the project big picture, uh, yeah. you know, you know, it, where clubs are just money-making vehicles, is something to be applauded. And, and what will it take financially to buy Wrexham, Kieran? 
it, it, it won't it won't take much. It was just a, a case of if you agree to sell the shares, there'll there'll be an agreed price as as an initial investment, um, and then they'll set a budget to go forwards in terms of the the management team. Now, Kieran. I'm looking forward to – everybody knows my, my theory of presenting this pod, this kind of um, professional laziness where I wait to be surprised by the answer to your to the question I put to you. And I'm really intrigued by this because the vaccine news has been uh, you know, a little a little cheer up for us all. But it, it's been surprisingly good news for Manchester United, I'm told. Uh, yes. Um, and anybody who was watching the stock market as the Pfizer news was released – will have seen um, a load of shares shoot up and down. So uh, the big winners in lockdown, uh, you know, the likes of Zoom, uh, the likes of Peloton, the uh, sort of the indoor gym people, uh, their shares took an absolute tumble. Wow. Um, but but Manchester United shares went up by, by around about 10%. That, that added uh, £225 million to the value of the club instantly. Why? Now, because what the stock market doesn't like is is uncertainty. Manchester United, when they are playing a match uh, in front of seventy six thousand fans at Old Trafford, generate four million ta- four million pounds every match. Right now, at present, before the announcement, people are thinking, "Well, we've we've written off this season. Are we going to have to go and write off some of next season as well?" So, you know, what the stock markets were saying, well, you know, all of these four million pounds, we we don't know when we can start putting them into our spreadsheets uh, again. And uh, with with the 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 the, the belief that um, there's going to be X million uh, doses of the vaccine available by the end of this year, and the vast majority of the of the population will be done. Um, by the end of 2021, apart from the the Looney Tunes that uh, think it's some form of X Files type of conspiracy and refuse to take it, um, therefore it's brought forward the date at which football can return, and therefore the date at which Manchester United, who who generate more money from a home game than any other club in in the UK, can start to get the uh, can start to get the 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 tills ticking over again. Um, so it, it wasn't just Manchester United because, uh, as you know, I, I am a bit of a nerd, which, which I hide well, of course. Um, so, so Dortmund. I'm hiding, shares. I'm hiding my surprise now. No, okay. <laughs> Dortmund shares went up ten percent. Uh, Roma's shares went up by a third. Um, so, so all of those company, all those clubs who whose shares are traded on the stock market, they reacted very positively. Um, and uh, it, it is—it's it, not the end, but it is hopefully the beginning of the end of this nightmare that we're currently going through. Yeah, unfortunately, I've got a cousin who's one of those Looney Tunes people. We don't uh, speak very often, but he shared his view on social media that the the vaccine is an excuse for the government to inject tiny cameras into our bodies. Uh, although what they expect to find in his head. I do not know. Um, <laughs> less good news for Manchester United, Kieran. And again, this is another surprising story for me. Manchester United and Manchester City are under pressure over their failure to become accredited living wage employers. And I'm surprised by this story, Kieran, because you'd think Manchester United, basking in the reflected glory of Marcus Rashford, would certainly want to do this. And Man, Man City are usually very good and very responsible 
over social issues. So I was I was surprised to read this question about both clubs. Yeah, I, I think with, with Manchester United over the course of the pandemic, it's always been two steps forward, one step back. They they were really good at the uh, uh, in lockdown one at getting money back to fans yeah. who bought match, match tickets. Um, they committed to paying their their, their non. Uh, sort of sort of their match day staff for the remainder of the season, even though they didn't have anything to do on that. So yeah, all of this was absolutely fantastic. Um, then they they spent twenty five million pounds propping up the share price, which seemed a bit strange. And and now and now this, um, I mean the, the the national living wage is eight pounds seventy two per, pence per hour, and Manchester United are paying that. But local food banks have said that there's a real living wage yeah. for people who've got rent to pay and food prices are going up and things of this nature. Um, and and the, the real living wage is estimated at £9.30 per hour. Yeah. So yeah, we're not talking about a huge sum of money. Um, to, to, to put that into context, uh, you know, £9.30 is, is an hourly rate. David De Gea, um, on the on the basis of his present contract, um, what, what a what a Manchester United employee uh, would earn in an hour, he earns in four seconds. Wow! So, could Manchester United afford to do it? Yeah. I, I I would say that they probably could. Um, they will argue. Well, they pay in the national living wage. They don't need to go any further. Uh, again, I'm surprised at Manchester City. Uh, normally, they are very switched on, and again. Um, over the course of of the lockdown, um, along with Manchester United, you know both clubs have done fantastic things in providing food and parcels yeah. and facilities. So they've done lots of good things. But this is something which impacts upon their their, their regular staff members, and I, th- I think it would be a, a really good gesture by by the board, by the Glazers, who remember are taking out twenty two million pounds a year, along with the other shareholders in dividends each year. Paying themselves, you know, seven-figure salaries, um, just to say, yeah, okay, we we may be based in Florida. We okay, we don't turn up to the matches very often, but we want to show a bit of solidarity for for the people that that keep up the reputations of these clubs. Because you, I, I always take the view that when you go somewhere, it's your first encounter with that first employee that often shapes your view of the institution. And again, as an away fan who's been regularly to both the Etihad and Old Trafford, the staff are always fantastic. You know, the stewards, the the support staff, they've always been absolutely brilliant, as has been the case, I would say, in 99% of the clubs I've visited. Yeah, I mean, when we were growing up, Kieran, when we were growing up, when we used to watch football in the 70s and 80s, it it was very far from the case. But I'd be hard-pressed to find the, the Premier League club where the staff aren't. Fantastic and, and sympathetic. Well, yours, obviously, but apart from that, we're talking proper Premier League clubs. But you know, um, uh, let's not get into that, though, Ken. Let's let's maintain the spirit of goodwill rather than get into a tawdry local rivalry between Palace and Brighton, because our our guest uh, managed to crowbar his own tawdry local rivalry uh, into this interview on several occasions. It didn't take much inviting, because not far from Manchester City and Manchester United uh, are Chester FC, but. Financially, they're on different planets. And we spoke to Jeff Banks, who is one of the directors at Chester. Um, and this is what he had to say to us. And it's a, it's a really interesting interview. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? 
In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Jeff, thank you very much for joining us. You're welcome. Good to be here. Uh, can I just check, Jeff? Does that mean that you are the club director responsible for fan engagement, or is that a job title? Yeah, that's that's my portfolio. Um, I also own the the membership of City Fans United. Uh, that portfolio as well. So, kind of a dual role at the club. Brilliant. And before we chat properly, tell us a little bit, Jeff, about how you became a Chester fan, and then how you got involved with the club. Uh, well, I attended my first Chester match back in uh, 1982 at the uh, Nine years old, I think it was. Um, I have to think back then. Um, um, it was quite an exciting match. I, I do remember it. We played Portsmouth at Sealand Road, our old ground. And it was one of those um, topsy-turvy games where we took the lead, then went 2-1 down, and then came back to Storm at 3-2. And I was kind of sold on that, thinking that's how it was always going to be, watching Chester. Um, but obviously, reality took over. Um, but the support never waned. You know, and it's it's been my it's my hometown club, and it's you know it's been my life pretty much ever since um and then as time sort of went on obviously the you know chester city um ended up being liquidated but before that uh, around about a year or so before that um i became involved um with the supporters group and we we merged the supporters groups to become city fans united uh and about nine of us sat in a pub in chester one evening um decided we were going to try and fight for to save the football club or at least football in chester um you know whichever we could do and it, it kind of went from there. And I spent the first, when we did reform the, the football club, I spent the first four years um, as the media officer at the at the club. Um, and then two little children came along. So I decided to uh, to maybe put the focus on them for a little while. Um, but was um, joined the the board again back in 2018. Uh, and so I've been there ever since. It cost me a KFC on the way home from the board meeting um, that night to to join, rejoin the board at the uh, at my wife's request. <laughs> That's not a bad, uh, Kieran. I don't know how you would uh, how would you put that through the books at KFC for a new club. <laughs> well, if you look to see what the EFL did to uh, Andy Holt at Accrington, uh, it, it might have to go down as uh, unwarranted payments. Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I, I've seen your your Twitter feed, Jeff. Uh, those two handsome little children in the Chester shirts. Mm. You obviously you've given them no choice then. Absolute brainwashing them. Um, absolutely for sure. The worst thing that could happen to me would be for one of one or two of them to turn out Wrexham fans. But I'm going to make sure that's never going to happen. Blue and uh, white. It's the future. We've already talked about Wrexham on this pod, I'm afraid. Now, we'll have to ask you about that before we, we finish. It, it, it's funny to talk about Chester FC. I, I keep When I was writing my notes, I kept having to cross out the city because I grew up as a kid and it was Chester City. Do you, do you ever make the same mistake? Not anymore. <laughs> I mean, we'll always be City. Um, yeah. you, you know, that's why we part the name is City Fans United. Um, you know, we don't want to lose that. Um, it's part of our history. Um, it, it's, it's quite a checkered history, really, that, that Chester City endured, but also some of the, the great times we had as well in the, the mid-80s, especially. Um, you know, when in, in the mid-90s, seems to be mid-decades, we seem to do OK. Um, but, you know, Chester FC is the, the name that we had before that, and it's the name that fans voted for when we actually put that up for, um, you know, nomination. Um, you know, so it will always be Chester one way or the other. But, you know, we we've, we had it quite a lot in the early years, um, you know, where away announcers were would name us as a city and sometimes, you know, broadcasters as well. Um, we don't, you know, it wasn't it wasn't anything to get upset about because, as I say, you know, it, it's what we are. As you mentioned, you've had a couple of roles at Chester FC, Jeff. Do you think fans of Premier League clubs realise just how much clubs like yours rely on volunteers like you? It's a good question. I, I don't. I don't think. Uh, a great deal of them actually do. I think if they came down to experience it a day at you know a non-league club or you know, a lower league club, even um, you know, I think they they think it was just all in place and everybody just gets paid. Um, you know, as simple as that. But you know, I, I think we all know ourselves, and you know, the most important thing is that we work for each other. You know, this this football club and many others at our level who are you know volunteer driven uh, just wouldn't be the club they are if it wasn't for those people putting in the the hours. Um, literally for the love of the game. Mm. Kieran, do, do volunteers have to be included in accounts, Kieran, even if they're not paid expenses? No, no. That they, that they you, you only put in the actual numbers in accounts. Uh, the hard work and the effort and the love doesn't appear because accountants don't know how... That, accountants don't understand love. <laughs> Kieran, we know from vast experience on this pod that you understand many kinds of love, Kieran. Uh, and this is not the time where Jeff is on the line with us to talk about them, but... It, it would be lovely if accounts did include love in one of the columns, wouldn't it? Because there would be some clubs in the lower leagues that would be much further up the league. Uh, Jeff, before we discuss how the pandemic has affected your club financially, and I can't tell you how I, I'm looking forward to not having to use that sentence again, mm-hmm. COVID's actually affected the club personally this week quite bad. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, um, obviously, you know, some clubs uh, have have had positive tests, and that that's happened to to us in the the last week. Uh, I think it's going to be kind of difficult for for most clubs to to get away from it. Up until now, we we've managed to do so, um, but yeah, we have a you know a couple of the players have actually you know tested positive, you know, and thankfully they're they're okay. But obviously, they're having you know the whole squad are having to you know to self isolate now, um, you know, so we're without football for for a couple of weeks, which. It's hard enough, what you know, having the football where you, you know the fans can't go, but when when you haven't got any at all, it's it's even harder to to, do, to bear with really. And, and does that mean there's been issues with uh, refunding streaming money that people have paid to see the games on streams? Have you had problems with that? Uh, no, not as yet. Um, so the way it happened, obviously, we were due to uh, play an away game at York City. 
Um, so there would probably be refunds, you know, coming back from those who, um, you know, had, had sort of paid for that. But that was being run by York. Our next scheduled game was going to be Hereford on the the Tuesday night. Um, so obviously that that was cancelled. But the the way our, our streaming works, we you know we, we pulled together very quickly um, a service that enabled uh, people to either buy a three month pass. Um, or individual games, but our season ticket holders also have been offered um, free streaming um, for the games as well. Um, so in terms of refunds, we, you know, we have not to worry about anything like that because the the match we hope will eventually take place, you know, with the other games as well that people would already sort of, you know, have bought in the package or would have had that package via the season ticket offer. Mm. We'll talk specifically, Jeff, in a little while about the national lottery support grant, but. Before that, can you give us an overview of how the club has been affected in general financially by the last six months? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, you know, it goes without saying if, if a football club relies on match day income, um, you know, amongst other things like commercial deals and, um, you know, extra sort of income on match days through like kiosks and bars. If that if that isn't coming into the ground, then there's, there's literally no money at all at the football club to, you know, to try and sort of pay people. You know, we had an outstanding... Um, uh, you know, an, an outstanding sort of offer by the players when we had the the playoff matches where they actually donated their wages back to the football club. You know, and that, that was in, that was incredible, and it just shows how together you know the players are and the management team are here at the club with the supporters. Um, but in, in terms of you know March was difficult. We we were set to play at home to to Boston United, um, but we felt very uncomfortable at that time um, with with going ahead with the game. Given that the what was appearing to be following, um, so since since that day, you know, it's it's been it's been really hard. We've had a few challenges through throughout the summer, um, you know, and the season tickets obviously that went on sale, you know, have helped to get us through to, to where we are now. Um, but obviously, you know, we need that match day income, and it, it's it, it's what a club like us needs to have, you know, coming in through the door to to enable us to to continue. Yeah. On this pod, Jeff, we're massive fans of support our own clubs, but I suppose at a time like this, it makes it harder for you because you haven't got a wealthy owner or a wealthy group of owners that you can rely on for cash injections, have you? No, not at all. You know, that's one one thing that you know we've been proud of is that um, you know we're not in debt. We're we're a fan-owned football club, and whatever money comes in is the only money we can spend. Um, but you know we've got a great set of supporters who you know have dug deep more than one occasion, um, you know, and have helped us out and, and have done so again with with the season tickets, even knowing that potentially you know we wouldn't have a, a full season to enjoy. I mean, hopefully that will still be the case, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's nobody to there's nobody to call on who's suddenly going to throw money at us. Um, to, you know, we've got to do the work ourselves, and you know, it's a case of grinning and bearing it and. and working our backsides off to make sure we've still got a football club to support come the end of the season. A couple of weeks ago, Jeff, we had a very passionate interview with Ben Clasper, who's the chairman of Dulwich Hamlet. And he was very vocal about what he thought was the unfair distribution of the National League, National Lottery grant money. Do you agree with him? Absolutely. It's been a shambles. It's 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 simple. Um, all clubs were asked to submit you know, figures as to, to what match day income and, and associated income they would have lost out on based on last season. Um, you know, we, we have a, had an average attendance of 2,000 supporters coming into our football games. And, you know, the, the detail that was provided, so it was provided at short notice. Um, and yet 
when the you know the, the results came out the other week as to what the allocation was going to be, it left most people with scratching heads, scratching their heads because there's no way on earth that a, a formula that was linked into our spreadsheets has been utilised to, to distribute the, the allocation of, of funds. There's no way at all. And most disappointing thing in, in my book is that we've not even had an explanation as to what formula was used. Um, but also it's so, you know, when, you, when you've got a club in the, you know, the league above us who are getting a third of the, the attendance at their home match days and yet they're getting, you know, what, 40, 50,000 pound a month more um, than ourselves. It's, well, I'm at a loss to describe how they even came to that decision. Mm. So you've got £36,000 a month, is that right? £36,000 a month, yes, that's correct. That's what we were allocated along with, um, I think it was five other other clubs in, in the same same league. Kieran, what I don't understand is, and there was a very passionate statement on Chester FC's website saying that what Jeff has just told us, that they, they didn't even know the formula that was used. Do you have any idea what it is? Because if you don't know, then this whole thing is ludicrous and it just seems... Like Jeff says it's just totally shambolic that the clubs don't even know the parameters by which this money was distributed when this money is literally life or death to some of these clubs, Kieran. Well, it appears to have been based on uh, perhaps those clubs that have been in the EFL before and, and therefore have tended to have larger fan bases. Um, they, they, get a, they, get a, they get a 15% or 20% premium over the clubs who have just been members of the National League. And the rest is based on the, the division in which the clubs are in. But as, as Jeff's rightly said, um, it's quite fluid in the, in the National League. Um, and we've got some of the, the clubs with bigger fan bases who are in National League North and South. And they're the ones who are uh, suffering the most in terms of lost match day revenue. So it's, it's a very clunky system. Um, and I'm always of the view that if if a decision is made quickly, it isn't necessarily made uh, in the best interests of all. So perhaps if there had been more engagement with the clubs, we could have come up with something which was uh, a, a broader a broader representation of the money that they were losing. Uh, whenever you cut up a cake, there's always going to be somebody that that ends up better off or worse off than the others. But this appears to have been a bit of a pig's breakfast. And, and, and Jeff, as well, that statement on the club website is uh, very scathing about the lack of communication from the National League. Has that improved at all? Uh, I wouldn't suggest so, no. I think what's, um, what's been the frustrating thing is that the, the National League were urging us to be professional throughout, um, which, which I do think you know, we have maintained professionalism in, in what we could easily have gone you know, far reaching the other way. Um, but the, before the actual monies announcement came through we were told by the league you know this is coming um you've now got the confidence to go and, and start the season but you know that it, it's impossible to be confident when you don't actually know sort of what funds are coming in at that point we thought well okay hopefully you know with the the basis of the spreadsheets that have been sent over um you know we've got an accurate sort of view of what will be coming back to us but then when when the announcement is made it, it's kind of your jaw drops um you just think well how on earth can can we attempt to survive when we're still getting no income and we're still being played behind closed doors? And that's what that's what it was all about. You know, this is the funding to try and keep clubs going without that lost income um, that would have been normally coming through the turnstiles. So, you know, the, the, the whole purpose of the ten million pound funding was was to help clubs, and and I just I, I it's a struggle as to how they came to giving us. Um, you know, six thousand pounds more than maybe a club in our league who who has, um, 
you know, a quarter of the, the attendance. I just, I just can't, I can't work it out. I mean, the easiest thing I can liken it to is imagine like two families living in houses next to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got a pot of a hundred pounds to give to those, you know, those families. There's, there's two people in one house and there's a family of five in the other. You give two people, you would give them the 80 pounds and then the family of five, you give 20 pounds. It's, it's just ridiculous. You know, it wouldn't happen then. So why is it happening now? Uh, Jeff, I promise, Jeff, and I promise our listeners as well that this interview will end on a, a lighter note. We'll talk about football <laughs> at the end of it. But I, I think your fans would like to know as well, if you can't get more money uh, out of this lottery grant, and there has been good news this week about a vaccine, but if the current lockdown rules continue, how long can you cope without getting more money from the National Lottery? Well, I think realistically, and you know, this is something we're, we're discussing on a, a weekly basis at, at board level, it'd be remiss of us not to do so. Um, you know, the, it's hard to budget because you don't know what might be coming through or what won't be coming through. All we can sort of kind of, of um, try and work out is how how long we could go if we were having to play the full season behind closed doors. Um, or the other alternative would be if it's obvious that the, the club can't make it to the end of the season, then we have to put a, a you know, a plan into place for hibernation. And I think most, I think there'll be a lot of clubs out there who are having to do exactly the same thing at the moment. So we, in terms of the the next round of funding, you know, after the, the ten million, I, I really do think the clubs need to know by by the start of December as to as to what will be coming through, just to enable us to plan um, forward. Otherwise, you know, the, the league the league is going to be a disaster in the second half of the season if if this isn't put into place, you know, in a timely manner. Um, you know, we all need to know where we stand. The postponements aren't going to help because the season is just going to be, you know kind of chaotic really with the amount of games that's probably have to be squeezed in so and I do appreciate um, you know it's, it's a really tough position for the National League but they had a, they had really you could say they had an easy job in, in ensuring that um, all clubs were, were properly funded here. Mm. Kieran is, is the notion of hibernation a practical way of going forward? If, if we want Chester FC to exist and some of the other clubs in the National League um, then th- there's a very good case for saying what we're going to be doing is is in the best long-term interests of the clubs and also potentially the National League itself. Because if there are a number of clubs who are unable to fulfil fixtures, it's going to make a farce of uh, of this particular season and it's going to damage the reputation and the credibility of the league. Um, and, and they've suffered damage, I think, as far as the hierarchy in charge at present uh, in terms of their decision-making. So it's certainly an option. Uh Everybody is is hoping, and, and you know, let's let's not get our hopes up too high because the, the chances of getting uh, a, a vaccine into a significant number of the population by the start of twenty twenty one is is tiny. Um, but but it would be it, it, hibernation is is an option which has merits. Yeah, Jeff, I'm I'm more optimistic than Kieran about the fact that football will come back before the spring with supporters. But when that glorious day comes, Jeff, and and you've hinted at the answer to this, but I really need to have this confirmed because we have listeners all over the world who are fascinated by the rivalries in in our football. When that glorious day comes and we're all back in the pubs singing in the stand, are your rivals still going to be Wrexham and Wrexham only? Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it's it's a great history. Um, you know, we've had plenty of battles over the years in terms of football battles. Um, but the, there's obviously the England-Wales 
you know, rivalry as well. Um, it's when I go back ten years to when we reformed the football club. It's it's one of the reasons that drove me on, you know, to do what I did because I enjoyed those those occasions so much. And you know, it it must it was incredible to actually have, um, you know, the derby sort of in two thousand and four. I think it was. Um, it was our you know, we, we just got back into the National League, having sort of won the first, you know, three championships in a row um, to get back to it. And um, all the chips were down. We, you know, we were, we'd lost the first five games since coming back into the National League. Everybody was tipping Wrexham to absolutely roll us over. And we went over there and um, we beat them 2-0 in their own backyard. And uh, when, when you've, when you've had the the taunts of you know you're just a pub team or um, you know you let your club die that that's a, a favourite one for the Wrexham fans to to sing to us which I've never quite understood because we did absolutely everything to uh, to save football in the city but hey ho that's that's part of the rivalry I love I love the banter you know and I'll always have banter with with Wrexham fans it's you know it's part and parcel of who we are and if if you if you're a fan of a football club and you haven't got a you know, an opposing football club that you can have a little pop at and have a bit of fun with, then uh, it's not much fun, is it? It's not. I'm, I, that's the only reason I do this pod, to be perfectly honest. So I get a Brighton fan to taunt at least twice a week. But I love the fact you say when we went over there. But, but Jeff, I mean, there's, there's some bad news coming out of Wrexham this week. I mean, you quite, quite possibly may not be in their league. I mean, global Hollywood superstars taking them over, going to make them into a global brand, apparently. They're going to be in the Champions League in 10 years' time. Well, I wouldn't worry too much about it. I've been on the phone to Daniel Craig and Hugh Jackman, who were going to team up to uh, do the same at Chester. So, <laughs> grand plans. But, <laughs> but, but no, seriously, do you know what? And it, you know, it, in a, in a way, I say good luck to them. Um, it, it grates me to say that, but um, but you know, their their fans have, have been through the mill as well at different times. You know, and when things like this happen to your football club, well, it, it could be the next best thing, or it, it could be the you know, ten years time we could be looking at it completely different. You know, things might turn out differently, but um, it's it's certainly an unexpected one, and I'm sure their fans probably thought it was it was Christmas Day come early. I mean, it's probably like Man City when you know when the Sheikh announced that you know he was buying Man City. I, I guess they probably were rubbing their eyes, thinking are we are here, you know seeing this properly. Um, but do you know what? The rivalry will still be there. We've seen in their mission statements the 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 bit of fun that they've they've poked at us, saying always beat Chester. And it, and it, I think that was in their mission statement four times. So if if that's the if that's uppermost in their thoughts, then they obviously want to stick around in the national league for a bit. They are the longest serving members of the national league. So um, why not for a few extra seasons? And hopefully, if we can come up, then uh, we can have a few games with them as well. <laughs> good, good little dig at the end there, Jeff. Well, we spotted that. Also, I like the fact that if you know they've clearly told Ryan Reynolds and whoever the other one is, that they have to mention Chester a couple of times to get on the Wrexham fan side, so that's a good thing. Uh, Jeff, I can't thank you enough for talking to us. You've been very informative, um, very gracious, and very funny. What I'm planning to do is, when all this is over, and we've hit those sunlit uplands, we're going to do a special pod, and we're going to get the people from Dulwich Hamlet on, and the people from Wigan, and, and you, and all the other clubs that are fretting at the moment. We're going to have a, we're going to have the the equivalent of a knees up. We won't, we'll, we'll We'll hire somewhere. Producer guy doesn't know this yet, but he's going to have to cop up. We're going to hire somewhere in the middle of the country and get people together and have a live pod and celebrate the fact that clubs like yours and Dulwich have come through this for the fans of Chester FC. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, Jeff. And if there's anything we can do for you in the future, let us know and we'll publicise it and help keep you going. Cheers, mate. Fantastic. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Kieran. (laughs) 
we spoke to Ben Clasper at Dulwich, Kieran, and I wondered if if Jeff would have a different perspective. But his his perspective is exactly the same about the, the national lottery money share out, if not more jaundiced. I mean, it beggars belief that there's no idea from these clubs what model was used to decide the distribution of the money because no one can make head nor tail of it. Yeah, I, th- I think it was done on the the back of a pack of crisps or something like that. It, it just made, it, it, it was, it, it, we said at the time, I think, quick decisions tend to be bad decisions. Um, and you know, we've always been keen, communication, information, education. Um, there, there are opportunities here for the National League Board to ha- have explained things. And, and they seem to have, uh, you know, t- taken up the draw, you know, drawn up the bridges, and, and created uh, a, a significant gap between themselves and some of their member clubs, and, and that's that's not good. That the National League is part of the pyramid uh, of English football, and the way that the decision has been made, which doesn't take into consideration actual levels of attendance, uh, increases the, the possibility of clubs going to the wall. Yeah, do you know what I like about that interview as well? Kieran, and I'm sure you you shared my pleasure out. It's 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 really interesting to get an insight into what it's like trying to keep a club going through this pandemic. It, you know, it's it's sad, but it's interesting and it's good for fans of Chester FC and clubs at that level. But more importantly, it was the fact that Jeff tried and failed, I think, to hide his dismay at Wrexham becoming a global brand. It's just, just really you, you couldn't you couldn't hear a man say I wish them well through more gritted teeth than and and that's what's be, that's what's brilliant about our game Kieran it's it's great you know we we spend so much time talking about bad news on this pod it's great to remind ourselves from time to time what the beauty of football really is and one of the beauties of football is a rivalry that the rest of the world doesn't really even know about <laughs> and and. Of all, you know, you and I know about that more than anybody else, Kieran. But just <laughs> Wrexham and Chester, it just and I just love the, the, that expression over there. Going over there is great. Um, uh, another club uh, in non-league football, Tunbridge Angels, who I believe, Kieran, are the only the second club in the world to have angels uh, as a title. I think uh, Anaheim Angels, are they a baseball team. I think they're they're angels, but. I think I'm right in saying that. I'm sure I will be corrected by uh, many people. I've got it wrong. Um, Los Angeles doesn't count, by the way, people. Uh, the Tunbridge Angels got smashed 7-0 by Bradford City in the FA Cup. But that was a cloud that had a silver lining, or in this case, a claret and amber lining, because Bradford fans did a sterling job, didn't they? Yeah, this is this is absolutely fantastic. And you know, we, we say that sometimes some people in football have what we refer to as a tin ear, but equally, the, the number of times that individual clubs, individual people at clubs, and here, a, a fan base. Now, th- there's no historic link between the two clubs. Uh, there's no reason why uh, Bradford City fans should put their hands in the pockets. But they did it because they, they realised that this was protect- this would have been, under normal circumstances, a, a big earner for yeah. Tombridge Angels. Yeah. And therefore, what they did, they, they set up a fa- fundraising campaign. They, they went on to one of the, the, the crowd, crowdfunding platforms um, and, and they, they set out to, to raise a thousand pounds sort of to try to make up for the loss of gate receipts. And, and that, was, that was fantastic. But they've ended up raising 6,060, which is 
phenomenal. You know, at, at a time when we know lots of people are on furlough, lots of people have also lost the jobs. There's lots of people who are who are self-employed who who can't get any money out of the system because the system doesn't work perfectly and things of that nature. Um, you've still got football fans saying. We found somebody that's that is suffering a wee bit yep. more than we are, and and we're going to reach out and, and help them because we we understand what a football club is to the community and in terms of identity and all of these things that that we hold so 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 close to our hearts. So you know, hats off to the Bradford City fans, everybody that contributed there. Um, you've you've restored faith in the game of football. Yeah, I'm you know I'm a great believer that what goes around comes around eventually it might take some time as I'm discovering but I, I hope Bradford fans do well out of it and what, what I loved about the story as well is basically it's one fan chatting to his mate saying lads lasses what about this and within within a day there's 500 1000 Bradford fans going yeah that's a great idea and even if they only put a quid two pound each as you say that becomes six seven thousand pound which to a club like Tombridge is a massive amount of money and it it, it just goes to show what we try to illustrate on this pod as often as we can, that there is a great deal of good for all the negative we talk about in football. When you come down to fans level, there's a great deal of good things going on. And football fans appreciate that rivalries aside, I was going to say petty rivalries aside, Kieran, but ours is far more than that. Rivalries aside, you know, football fans share much more than they, they don't. So that's a, that's a brilliant story. And Bradford are a good club, so I'm, I'm not surprised. Darlington are also looking for a bit of fundraising as well for the FA Cup, aren't they? Yes, uh, and uh, you know Darlington that, that they were a of course in in the EFL. Now they're no longer there. They've they've had issues in in terms of uh, was it was it George Reynolds the, the former safe breaker? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and the, and the Reynolds Bowl, the uh, a stadium which sadly I never got to visit, yeah. uh, but I have been to. I did go to Feetums uh, to see an away game. It, that, that was how I spent my thirty fifth birthday oh, driving, dri- driving, driving in my mini metro to, to Feetums. Those were the days, Kevin. That was rock and roll. Um, <laughs> so, so uh, Darlington were drawn away to Swindon in the first round of the FA Cup. Now, again, normally they would expect to make a, a decent amount of money. They, they, from from their point of view, playing a club sort of two two or three divisions above them. Um, they would have taken a large number of away fans, um, and, and that would have been a way of generating money because they get um, th- they get uh, a share of the gate receipts. Um, but um, what happened here was the Darlington fans said, "We want to increase the chances of our club being successful." So they did crowdfunding to pay for the hotel and the transport of their team yeah. to try to support them. And and the team went and rewarded them by by winning yeah. at Swindon, which was a fantastic result. Yeah. They won two one, um, and on the back of that, they've made made seventeen thousand pounds in in prize money. Uh, they're now going through to round two. They've been drawn away uh, at Bristol Rovers. So what the fans are doing again? They're saying, well, we can't physically go to the match. We can't physically be there in support, but it would have cost us a few quid to get there. So they're going to try to do something similar to try to keep this run going. So again, it's it's uh, it's the goodwill that we all have towards the clubs that we love is really shining through. And it's always the case that you, what you tend to see, and, and this isn't me being putting on a, a socialist worker placard or anything of that nature, but it's 
it, it's people who are from tend to be working class backgrounds, yeah. people who who have lived perhaps through some hard times, who tend to be the most generous uh, it, when the chips are down. Yeah, and I, I'm still optimistically convinced that there will be people in the grounds by the time the third round of the FA Cup comes around. So it'd be nice that if Darlington were to beat Bristol Rovers and get a, a, a big a big tie to make some money, and that's no disrespect to Bristol Rovers, of course. I love the fact as well, Kieran, that you managed to make the words Reynolds Bowl sound like a, a cut that you would do with your Manscaped equipment, basically. I'm just, <laughs> just going for the Reynolds Bowl, darling. There won't be a moment. And the Baroness, the Baroness looks up from the paper and goes, OK. Um, and now Jade, Jade Thurwell, Jade Thurwell uh, of Little Mix, is not quite a Hollywood legend. Um, but she has invested, Jade Thurwell of Little Mix, has invested in her local team, South Shields FC. And Ali told me off last time I said South Shields. It's not South Shields, it's South Shields. Um, so I hope that's slightly better. Um, uh, yeah, so she's put some money into South. So this this celebrity investment in the local team thing is, is to be encouraged, isn't it? Yes, I think anything that raises the profile of of a of a smaller smaller club from a, from a smaller town uh, has 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 got to be encouraged. Uh, Jade is, is is now the honorary president of the club oh, as well. Um, so they had a crowdfunding uh, exercise. Uh, the shares are priced at £12.50 each. If, if there's anybody in the South Shields area that wants to to buy one, or just anybody in general, um, they've got until November the 28th to do so. Um, they, they've raised, uh, I think, £280,000 through this this crowdfunding, and, and that's going towards improving the infrastructure of the ground, improving the facilities, which, again, turns around into a good thing because they, they can offer those facilities to the local community and, and everybody benefits. Yeah. Now, finally, Kieran, and I've, I've put this story last deliberately to give you a bit of time to vent. Um, I, I'm almost nostalgic to say his name, but Steve Dale uh, has trademarked the club badge in his own name rather than that of Berry Football Club. Yeah, I, I've, we've just been saying lots of really good things <laughs> about lots of really good people. And now, and um, I've had a, I've had quite a long conversation today with uh, somebody who is uh, familiar with trademarks, patents, rights, and things of this nature. I can't give too much of the too much away. He's asked for a degree of anonymity. Sure. Um, his name is Rick. It's not Rick Parry, by the way. If anybody's thinking, blimey, you know, didn't, you know, Rick Parry's a man of many many, many talents. So you talk, you talking about old trademark Rick? <laughs> trademark Rick. Trademark, trademark Rick. Rick. Oh, is he? old trademark Rick? Yeah, yeah. Down the pause on time. <laughs> yeah, trademark Rick. Yeah, okay. Um, and the more that you look into this, the more insidious, sadly, it becomes. Really? So, so what Steve Dale did was two months ago he applied for a trademark for the, effectively for the crest of Berry FC. Now, if you do apply for a trademark, um, then there's normally uh, a sixty-day, two-month grace period where anybody could object yeah. to somebody using that that trademark. So, so Berry Borough Council could have done so uh, if, if they were aware of it, um, but they weren't, uh, is my understanding. Um, nobody had previously claimed the tr- the, the, the crest, so it, it now looks as if the that trademark, that crest, belongs to Steve Dale on a personal basis. It doesn't belong to Berry Football Club. Right. 
So if somebody wants to use that, then they're going to have to pay Steve Dale for the privilege. And this is where it starts to get really unpleasant. Um, because if you take a look at the crest of Berry AFC, it is very similar yeah. to that of Berry Football Club. Um, and the, the the trademark person I spoke to, who clearly is is very learned in, in this particular issue, thinks that there there could now be a potential problem because if uh, if AFC are trying to sell merchandise yeah. with their club crest, um, Steve Dale has a potential case to screw things up for them because he he will he will be potentially able to claim that there's confusion between the two crests yeah. and has he's trademarked them um either get some form of injunction or start demanding royalties or things of this nature um yeah and and the thought of Steve Dale making any money out of the Phoenix club sort of turns my stomach um so it it is really unpleasant it is straight from the Steve Dale playbook yeah. uh he's he's aware of how to be an awkward sod he's he's been trying to split the berry fan base uh, and has had some success in this uh in terms of the the alternative to berry afc um so this could run and run what what happens next we we don't know um but i suspect it Knowing Steve Dale, it won't be good for football. Yeah, to those of you listening who say, well, there are two sides to every story, uh, you're right, actually. And we have asked Steve Dale on previous occasions to come and put his side of the story to us. It's it's a request that so far has met with silence, but producer guy will ask him again once more after this pod if Steve Dale or any of his accomplices, associates, whatever word you want to use, feels that they have a legitimate argument for doing so please come on and tell us about it uh, in the absence of that we will continue to consider him a rat of the highest order because that's just he, he's not going to make money out of that I, you know Berry are a, a brilliant club the two berries it's a, it's a football town but they're not going to sell merchandise all over the world he's not going to make money out of that it's, it's mischief is, is what he's making and I just think it's I think it's despicable and I think it's it's a shame in a pod where we've talked about fans doing good things when we've talked to to, to Jeff Banks you know uh, a club like Chester FC which is reliant on volunteers that we have to end on uh, an out and out businessman who's just causing problems and it, it, it yeah, we we will do that Rongans pod one day, but I think it's just going to be about him. But in the mean, you know, it's feel free. We'll talk to you. I'm I'm a nice person, Kieran Zelanki twat, but you know, he can he can do nice if he wants to. Um, this has been our news pod. It's Thursday. It's Mondays, of course, is questions. And if you have a question you'd like to send in to us for Kieran to answer about any level of football anywhere in the world, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. Now, one of your questions might be. Is there any price of football merchandise knocking about? Why? Yes, there is. We now have a merchandise shop, a virtual cornucopia of a merchandise shop selling a mug and a T-shirt. So if you if you want a mug and a T-shirt, click on the link in the show description in your podcast app or on our 
Twitter profile. Go on, Christmas is coming. You you can use a mug. Just imagine if you've manscaped yourself to within an inch of your, your pubic bone and you want a mug and a T-shirt to, to celebrate. Christmas is coming. Treat yourself. And don't forget Kieran's book, The Price of Football, and my book, Who Are You? 92 Football Clubs and Why You Shouldn't Support Them, are out now as well. Also just in time for Christmas, and you can get them through all the usual outlets. In the meantime... I've got my fingers crossed that with the Pfizer news, Kieran may not have to say this for too many more weeks or months to come, but I'll leave you in the capable hands of Kieran Maguire for his two-word message. Well, stay safe, folks, and uh, I hope you've enjoyed the show. Uh, If you have, make sure you press that subscribe button to whoever your podcast provider is. Um, And we don't understand why, myself and Kevin, but it does make a difference if you give us reviews, if you hit that, especially if you give us five stars. Uh, It it doesn't, however, matter whatever you write about the show. So you could say it would be better off if, if it was presented by Jennifer Saunders and uh, re-smog. Yeah, we, we don't we don't care. Um, it makes that you know, we, we, our egos can cope with, with the criticism. But if you could do, it helps us keep up the charts. Um, and we are constantly uh, asking people to come on the show. And the first thing they go and do is that if they if they've not heard of it, is that they'll go and look on the Apple charts. And and this helps us get up them to to add a bit to our credibility, which for two old grumpy men uh, does make a difference. Yeah. Do you know what? If this show was uh, presented by Jennifer Saunders and Jacob rees I think I might listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody. See you soon. Bye-bye. I'm for the